Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm your host, John Sherman, owner of Practical Golf, and I am joined by my co-host, Adam Young from adamyounggolf.com. This is our fifth episode. We focused a lot on the golf swing so far. We talked about how to make a successful swing change, some of the top swing myths out there and how they can harm your game. And then our last one, which I thought was a pretty solid episode, I hope people listen to that, was why club face control is such an important skill. We're going to change it up on this one. We're not going to talk about the golf swing, Adam. Well, we've already had some good feedback. And when you said that, I was thinking of the guy who on Twitter yesterday who said that he was practicing on the range, listening to the actual episode and said that he was able to control his ball flight better. So it's it's always surprising. I think we suffer with the expert problem or certainly as a coach, I'm delving into things that are so far removed from how other golfers think that you know, they need these simple things occasionally, and these simple things can have a huge effect on their game as as that club face episode did. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. It is a simple conclusion, but it's very helpful. And as John and I alluded to in the show, we both think like that with very simple thought processes. And that's really the goal of what we're trying to do here. We're essentially trying to point all of you guys and girls in the right direction on various topics. And one of my favorite topics to explore on my site, and Adam, I know you do this on your site too, is managing expectations. I think when most golfers take up this game, their primary objective is figuring out the mechanics, the technique of the swing. And not to say that that's not important, but one of the things that I think has been missing from the instructional and coaching world for a long time is no one really sits golfers down and gives them an understanding of what they can expect from the game. And kind of the thesis of this conversation is what is a good golf shot? My contention has always been that most golfers, myself included, are usually way too hard on themselves on the course. They expect too much from their skill set. And a number of things happen because of that. I think their their strategy suffers, their mental state suffers, and if you can get the managing expectations part of the game, it connects a lot of dots and it'll make you a happier golfer, I believe a smarter golfer, and it will lower your scores. So that that's kind of the background of what we're going to discuss today. I'm going to argue with you there. You said no one really sits people down. It's actually the first thing I do as an instructor because it makes it makes the pupil a lot easier to manage. Because yeah, everybody naturally comes into the game with very high expectations. Maybe they've played PGA Tour on the PlayStation or they've had golf on the Wii where you don't actually have to hit a ball. You just make something that looks like a swing and that ball flies off. And then all of a sudden they come to, to real golf and they have this implement that has such a fine margin for for error and the first few swings they usually miss it so it's always been for me one of the most important things to to actually maybe not sit people down but the first questions I ask are how many fairways do you think a pro hits or what I do is I outline two different targets and I say Tiger Woods best player ever if he hit 100 shots down towards that target how many times do you think he would hit it and everybody obviously says 100, 99, 98. I said, nope. When Tiger was the best in the world, he barely hit 60 times out of 100. And so that's that's one of the first conversations we have. And then we spread off from there. Well, I think you're correct in the sense that 
that is a great way to start off a relationship with the coach and the pupil. And I, I think a lot of coaches do that. It just feel like you think differently about the game. I think that's why we're working together here. It's still something that I think is lacking. And I just see it on the golf course all the time. And even readers of the site, when I give simple stats, like we're going to give out today in this episode, you know, people come back to me and they're like, I never thought of it that way. And I didn't either until I started really digging deeper into these things. So in this episode, we're going to talk about, we'll start with tee shots. We'll make our way to approach shots. Maybe we'll get to putting. And I think the framework we're going to work off is like the relative term is like, what is a good golf shot? And we're going to talk about some of those stats that that Adam discussed with fairways hit and stuff like that. So let's start there. Let's start with tee shots because I think, you know, traditional stats are still around. People are still using them. And, and the traditional stat with tee shots that everyone kind of focuses on a little too much probably is fairways hit. So let's start there. Let's just talk about a baseline. What do you think the PGA Tour average is for a middle-of-the-pack player for fairways hit? It's about 60%, right? I think the best players are probably around 75%. Yeah, exactly. So middle-of-the-pack is about 61. Like Someone like Jim Furyk still hits 75 76 77% of his fairways. Calvin Pete, the guy with the broken left arm, he had, I think, the record most fairways hit over over the course of the season he was always top of the leaderboard for about 10 years i think and he he got close to if not above 80 percent each year but he was quite a short hitter as well so there is that kind of balance between how far you hit and how many fairways it's very rare to see someone hit well it's it's never been seen someone who hits over 300 yards and 80 percent of the fairways consistently no that that's Probably never going to. Well, I sh- I shouldn't say never, but going down the the totem pole of of golfers. So we said sixty percent is around PGA Tour average. When we go to scratch golfers, you're at about fifty three percent, somewhere around there. Moving down to an eighty five to ninety shooter is about forty three percent, and then when you get closer to that ninety five to hundred player, you're getting down to about thirty eight percent. So. Scratch golfers are the top 1% to 2% of all players based on handicap, if you look at the USGA statistics. So they're amongst the best recreational golfers, obviously. And they're only hitting about 50% of their fairways. So when someone comes to you as a pupil and wants to learn how to play this game better, I think one of the first things that it sounds like you try and make them understand is that I just don't believe it's fairway or bust. I have some other thoughts on what a successful tee shot is, and, and I'll share some more stats, but why don't you share some thoughts of your, of your own about that with about fairways hit as the litmus test of a successful tee shot or not? <laughs> you, you can hit almost every fairway, and the one that you miss, you can whack it out of bounds, or you could have games like I remember as a junior – we had a lot of dog legs, so sometimes you'd hit a great shot, but just run out of fairway. So the stats were misleading. I used to keep my own stats on that. It was whether it was a good drive, not whether I hit the fairway or not. Because if you're six inches in the rough, that might not be a bad shot necessarily. So I wanted to determine, was my drive good? Not whether the things that I couldn't control, like how far it ran out, the bounce, or even my strategy, whether those were influencing my fairways hit percentage but also like i said you could hit a lot of fairways and that one or two that that you miss go out of bounds whereas you know when i play i'll often i'll often play with amateurs and they say i say where are you aiming and they go right down the center of the fairway 
I said, well, he's out of bounds on the left here. I, I'm a good driver of the ball and I'm aiming at the right side of the fairway because it's wide open. So often I will, I'll aim at different parts of the fairway because I know that the spread of my shots is so wide, even being a good driver of the ball, that I just don't want to entertain the idea of an out-of-bounds shot. What do you think? Why do you hate that stat? Or why do you not like that stat? Well, it creates a few different problems. Like you said, it could create a target problem because if you're just trying to hit the fairway and not taking into account the rest of the design of the hole, and we now know this is, we now know a more optimal way to play golf. And I'll give most of the credit or a lot of the credit to, to Mark Brody. I think everyone should read his book, Every Shot Counts. And in that book, he explained the scenario you're describing, whereas you had out of bounds, I believe in the book, it was up the right side of the hole, fairway, and then rough on the left. He found out through computer simulations that the optimal target to shoot the lowest score on the hole was actually to aim up the left side, even into the rough. Because as you mentioned, hitting it out of bounds is so disproportionately penal to your score it's okay to hit it into the rough or at least aim up that further left side of the fairway to avoid the big mistake. And that, when I think about what successful tee shots are, that's my main theme is what can you do to avoid the big mistake? Because to become a better golfer, to lower your handicap, it's not about making more birdies. You know, scratch golfers only average one birdie around, maybe 1.5. It's not much. The way you reduce your handicap is by removing double bogeys, bogeys, and making more pars. And when we're talking about tee shots, a fairway, I don't believe, is the greatest indication of success for a number of reasons. Here are a couple of stats from a company called ShotScope. They are a Scottish-based company that does – they have a great game tracking system and recreational golfers around the world are tracking all their stats on it. What do you think is the penalty in terms of strokes lost for hitting it in the light rough, if you had to take a guess, for an average golfer? I know some of these stats. I'm an educated guess with this at at 0.1 of a shot. If you hit in the light rough, it's only about 0.3. You're only losing about a third of a stroke, not too much. So it's not fairway or bust. You can hit it in the light rough and you're still okay. Here's where things get bad. If a golfer hits it into a fairway bunker, they're losing 1.4 shots. If they're hitting it into the trees, that's 1.1 and out of bounds, even more. So those are the big mistakes that you're trying to avoid when hitting a tee shot. So my definition of a good tee shot is keeping it in play, keeping the ball in front of you, hitting it the distance that you can. Like let's say your average drive is 240, hitting it somewhere around there, but just having a clear path to the green, an opportunity to advance the ball to the green, get it on there or around it with a reasonable lie. So that means you either hit the fairway or you're in the light rough. And like I said, the trees, fairway bunkers, big penalties. That's why I think if someone wants to measure their stats and they kind of have like a a, a checkbox on holes, I'd rather you not tick off the fairway hit. I'd rather you do a check mark for I satisfied those conditions. I had a clear path to the green and I had a reasonable lie. And I hit the ball well in terms of how far I can hit it. Yeah, no, I love all that. I, I was thinking of a a game that I used to play with players. I would try and simulate certain things. So on the topic of the outer bounds on the left or right. So I would 
play a game with them where I'd give them a certain target and I'd get them to hit that target and they get a point every time they hit it. But I'd simulate out of bounds by having minus three points on the left hand side. So it was three times more, more penal, or this was simulating water. On the right hand side, there was nothing. So you didn't lose a point, but you also didn't gain a point. And what I found, this was kind of tournament prep stuff that I would do with players. And I found that better players were able to bias their shot patterns more towards the right in that scenario. And I would look on on TrackMan at the time because they, they had the ability to tag the patterns and you could see it. And the, the shot consistency was exactly the same as if they didn't have the penalty on the left. But they just biased it more to the right. And even when I asked players, was that intentional? Lots of them said no. They just they said, I was just trying my normal shot. I was just aiming for the middle of the green. But somewhere unconsciously, they were able to bias towards the the less penal shot. And so I think lots of good players have these things that we, we talk about intuitively, about how we would aim away from danger more because of how how penal it is. And they have it unconsciously. For, and for many players, it needs to be learned consciously. I think this is a huge difference between good and bad players. And I think what we're trying to achieve here is kind of quicken everyone's learning curve about the game and what they can expect from it. But based on all the modern data that I've absorbed and you know, doing my own testing, looking at my shot dispersions on launch monitors, like I realized that no golfer, when they step up to the tee, has absolute control over the golf ball. Professional golfers certainly don't. You know, if you gave a professional golfer 40 to 60 shots, you know, usually their dispersion is somewhere between 60 to 70 yards wide. A typical fairway is what, like 25, 30, even 35 yards wide. They can't put the ball on one side of the fairway if they wanted to. It's just not possible. No one can do that. But what they are good at is keeping it in play. And like you said, I think better players have realized that intuitively they have to find a way either with their swing. We talked about club face control in the last episode. That's a big part of it. But also their target. They're they're choosing a target that gives them the best chance of avoiding the big trouble and keeping the ball in play. And one other thing I want to throw in here is that, and again, with fairways hit being kind of an overused stat is traditionally we've thought about tee shot success too much. And in terms of left to right dispersion in the sense that everyone thinks that just by keeping it closer to the fairway or in the fairway is success, but there's also another dimension of tee shots. It's how far you're hitting it. So if you're a player who plays too conservatively and it's trying to hit irons off the tee and, and keeping it in play in the fairway, well, you're actually potentially costing your strokes there too. That was me as a junior. I'm so conservative yeah, just too, as, a, yeah. as a person in general. When I play poker, I'll have three aces in my hand and I'll fold it if I think someone's got a flush on the table. I'm so conservative. Yeah, I think that was my problem too for a long time. And you know, seeing the work that Mark Brody did, guys like Scott Fawcett, listening to them and understanding it. But here's a stat for you. So, and this is from ShotScope amongst recreational golfers. If player A hits the ball in the fairway with their three wood, let's say it's 194 yards, and then they hit their driver 222 yards, that distance is worth a third of a stroke. So all things being equal, if you can hit the ball about 25 to 30 yards farther, you're gaining a third of a stroke. And that's been the missing part of the equation 
as you said, from your game as a junior, you would think so much about hitting that fairway that you're starting to hit four irons and you're laying back 30, 40, 50 yards. You're already losing strokes by making that decision. And what's interesting, what I've found amongst all of the research out there is that, and I did a whole article on this, like three word, three wood versus driver off the tee is most golfers are not more accurate with those shorter clubs than they think they are. So Yes, on some holes, it it does make sense to take less than driver. I don't want to make this a whole episode about strategy because we can really do that separately. But you also have to think about with success in a tee shot is how far you're advancing the ball as well. And that's something that I don't think we've given enough influence and credit to over the years. But obviously, over the last five years with modern analytics, we, we, we're wrapping our head around that a lot better. What's that tipping point then where – more distance obviously gives you more strokes. You said a 30 yards gives you a third of a stroke, right? Yeah, around that. It's not a, it's not exact for every single player, but when you look at it in aggregate, it, it could be worth anywhere. You know, on PGA Tour players, it's probably a little bit less, I think. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, when you're talking 25, 30 yards, it's either somewhere between a quarter to a third of a stroke, something like that. I can imagine for many amateurs, that would be the difference between being able to reach a green in two on a par four and not at all. So it's it's going to be very significant for them. And then missing a fairway, you said, costs about a third of a stroke. So you could say that if you hit it 30 yards farther, you can miss every single fairway and still be the same strokes gained wise. Yeah. And, and this isn't like, you know, I, I think some people would be like, oh, well, I don't want to play the bomb and gouge. This is not bomb and gouge because... I'll throw some other stats at you, which is always funny to look at. The average driving distance for amateur golfers, you know, the USGA did a did a big distance report. I've got stats from Shot Scope and Arcos, which are tracking real golfers on the course. The average male golfer is driving the ball about 225 yards. If you look at even two handicapped to scratch level golfers, you know, their average tee shots are about 245, 250 yards. So they're not hitting the ball tremendous length. And the takeaway from that is that recreational golfers need all the distance they can get because they're really not hitting it that far to begin with, obviously relative to the pros. So if you start just saying like, oh, I'm going to hit four iron here, three wood here, just to feel safer, you're costing yourself strokes. Whereas going back to your original point here is you could drive at 220 in the in the rough and 190 in the fairway. That That's a wash in terms of strokes gained or lost. It's the equivalent. So I've been a little more, I don't think aggressive is the right word, but I'm trying to hit driver wherever I can now off the tee because I do want to advance the ball as far as possible. And I'm not terrified of missing a fairway. I just want to avoid that big trouble, which I mentioned is fairway bunkers, trees, out of bounds, or of course, deep rough. I'm aiming away from that. And where it makes sense, I will take less club to take those out of play in terms of how far I'm hitting it. That's kind of like my main thought on tee shots is that it's not fairway or bust. It's hitting it a reasonable distance and keeping it in play and avoiding the big trouble. That's the framework I think of tee shots now. Yeah, I play my best golf. And this is interesting because it goes against that psychological principle of aim small, miss small. 
I don't use that. I play my best golf when I, I picture a very, very wide area. Now, I am visualizing a specific point in that, so I'm co- probably contradicting myself here, but, I, but I'm picturing a specific point with a wide area around that, and I just try to bias that more left or more right, depending on what the danger is, and I will include the rough in that area if that's the safer option so I'll, I'll often aim at the right side sometimes i'll aim at the rough and i mean we have to adjust these things when there's wind as well or, or just for your not natural shot curvature but even if there's no wind calm conditions i'm just going to bias my area more to the right or left to avoid any errors any big errors yeah just to give a anecdotal example like the second hole at my golf course is a super long par five i think it's like 570 yards from the tips up the left side it's a dogleg left but up the left side is if you miss the fairway to the left you're like dead you're in fescue you probably won't find your ball so i would mostly consider it out of bounds and then you're also blocked out by trees so if you hit it in there you're probably losing one and a half to two strokes just right off the bat but up the right side just fairway and rough, nothing. So I, I aim up either, like you said, I'll sometimes aim at the right at the beginning of the rough or the the far right-hand side of the fairway and just swing as hard as I can because I know I have this huge target over there. And if, if I miss it right, no big deal. I just know I can't go left. So I'm adjusting myself probably 20, 30 yards from the center of the fairway because I know that that left miss is so penal. That's going to destroy my chances on that hole. Let's wrap up tee shots there. My main point is don't put so much pressure on yourself. It's not fairway or bust. And then we'll probably do a separate episode on how to pick more optimal targets with your tee shots. But with this information, you can start looking at holes a little more differently, knowing that, you know, if you do hit it in the light rough, it's not the end of the world. And knowing that the farther you hit it, the better. You're you're giving yourself a better chance on the hole. I'll give one more point on the expectation thing is when you're trying to hit a fairway that's about 25 yards wide, you've got a one degree window of club face presentation. Going, This is kind of summarizing the last podcast that we did, but one degree either side. So sorry, a two degree window, one degree either side of center to hit that fairway. Yeah, it's a small margin of error and no one can do it with regularity. So don't beat yourself up. Don't get angry when you miss that fairway. Give yourself a pat on the back and say, hey, you know what? I got a clear path to the green. I have an opportunity to advance the ball on the green. And that segues into my next part of my game. Our discussion is approach play. And another tidbit from Mark Brody's research is that he found that approach play, your iron play, or even you know hybrids and fairway woods, this is the area of the game where golfers separate themselves the most in terms of scoring. So if I look at the iron play or approach play of a four handicap versus a 15 handicap, there's going to be a world of difference. And I think the litmus test of success with approach shots, obviously it's going to be a bit different than tee shots. And this is an area where I think, yes, we talked about being conservative, being bad on tee shots, This is the part of the game where I think most golfers are needlessly aggressive and they don't even know they're being aggressive and that it it is the part of the game where you need to pump the brakes. Adam, why don't you give an overview? I mean, you've devoted a ton of time with your strike plan and that stuff on people, how they can improve their iron play. What's your main goal for golfers of becoming a, a more functional 
iron player, approach player, and having more success? Like what's the framework or what's the expectation you want people to strive towards? Well, approach play is like you you said, it's two things. It's how far you hit the ball and whether you miss it left or right. And many players left or right are, are actually pretty good. They're good enough to hit most greens, but it's their distance dispersion for, for most amateurs. And when you look at all the stats, like the game golf stuff or Arcos golf, or there, there are loads of different stats you can get. You'll see that most players hit shots short. And I see that all the time. And there are a few reasons for that. There are technical reasons. So there's the strike quality. So the two things that relate to how far a ball goes or the distance consistency are how well you strike the sweet spot and how well you strike the ground. So do you hit ball then turf or do you hit some level of turf first or thin it? I actually did some research where I hit perfect shots. So I I just included all the ball and turf shots. Then I did another run of shots where I tried to hit intentionally one inch behind. And I did different depths of divot as well. So I went, I did some deep, some shallow, some normal. Then I tried two inches behind and three inches behind. Now, if I hit one inch behind, it was still a functional shot. I lost between about five to 10% of distance. But when you start to go to two inches behind or an inch and a half, there's a huge drop off in distance. It goes to about 30 to 50% drop off. And obviously this depends on the ground conditions as well. I was actually on firm and dry conditions. If you stick me in Britain where it's all wet all the time, then that one inch, two inches behind is going to have a much more dramatic effect. So there's a technical element to controlling your distance, but there's also the psychological elements. Lots of people choose a club that will only reach the pin and they choose a club that will only reach the pin if it's a perfect shot as well. So they base their distances off their best shots. And that's just not how good players play. I mean, for me, an eight iron, if I absolutely pure an eight iron, it goes 170. But my eight iron is a 160 club. And I hit, I hit the ball pretty reasonable. You know, I strike it quite well. I strike the ground really well, but I still use it as my 160 club. What you're alluding to is, I think, the biggest problem with approach shots. So when, when people ask me, like, what can I do to lower my scores? And, and generally, one of the main things I'll say to people is, I want you to build your game around hitting more greens and regulation. I talked about how fairways hit is kind of a misleading statistic. And as I don't believe it's as relevant as it used to be, not that it's not helpful, but greens and regulation, you know, if you talk about the biggest trend in terms of scoring in this game, I'll just throw some quick stats at people. That's probably the greatest predictor of scoring potential. So, you know, a PGA Tour player is they're on a different level because they're just amazingly talented with their irons. They're hitting anywhere from 65 to 75% of their greens. That that's an unrealistic goal for normal golfers. But I'll take you through some stats from normal players. A two handicap or scratch player, they're averaging more than 50%, probably somewhere around 55% of their greens in regulation. Eight handicap is down to 43%. 14 handicap is down to 28%. 20 handicap, 21%. And 26 handicap, 15%. So it's a straight line, you know, down or up based on which direction you're heading. There's some kind of formula that you can use as well. I had it in one of my presentations where you can take the average greens in regulation, do multiply it by a certain amount, and that gives you a really 
close answer to what handicap someone is. So there's such a clear correlation between handicap and greens hit. I can tell you how most rounds went for me based on how many greens I'm hitting. Because when you get the ball on the putting surface, your chances of posting a lower score on that hole go up dramatically. I don't want to get into the strategy element of it too much because I think we could devote a whole episode on how to choose the right targets with your approach shots. But we know the mistake that most golfers are making, and I think it's twofold. First, when you think about directionally left or right, most players aim at the pin. They just don't know any better. They see this thing sticking out of the ground and they just aim at it. And when you do that, you're shifting your your target and your dispersion along with it. So then you start really missing more greens left and right. But I think the bigger element of scoring and approach shots and prediction of success is what you talked about is strike control and honesty with your distances. So when I first spoke with the CEO of Game Golf, unfortunately, the, the company is no longer in business, but I asked him, I'm like, what's the biggest trend you're seeing with all this data you're collecting? And I knew what I wanted him to say. And he said it. He said 94% of the golfers that they're tracking are missing their greens on the short side on average. And then if you even look at the shot scope data, they have, I'm looking at their image. I can post links to all this in the show notes. I think it's just over 80%, meaning 80% of most golfers' shots are missing the green on the short side below their target. And I think it gets back to what Adam, I, I mean, you can explain that better than me. That's the number one mistake is that like golfers just don't take enough club. Why do you think that is? It's an ego thing. I mean, we all we all know what our best shots are. If we're if we're practicing or say we hit that one shot one one time downwind and it lands over the back of the green. It's almost like once that ball goes over the back of the green once, that's burned in your conscious and unconscious forever that, oh, I hit an eight an iron 170 once. Therefore, it's my 170 club. And you can't base your entire strategy off the 1% of shots that you hit. You know, you have to base it off more of the average or median. And so, I mean, it's, it's good to have an awareness of what your maximum distance is with a club. But if you're basing your strategy off the outliers, you're only going to have good rounds as an outlier. Yeah, it's the biggest problem, I think, is just golfers don't have access to the data or at least a, a mirror they can look at. Because like you said, it's like, oh, if I can hit my 7R 175 on my best shot, well, I'm going to use that as my yardage for this target. And I think there's two ways to solve that. One way is to you know, go on a launch monitor. If you could book a session with like a pro as like a track man or a GC quad, you can use the lesser expensive ones. They're a little less accurate, but they'll give you a good ballpark figure. And now we have these game tracking apps. The two really left that are significant are ShotScope and Arcos. I'll do a quick product plug here. I've got a deal on ShotScope for 179 as a preseason thing. So you can check that out in the show notes. But what you can do is you can track your shots on the course and you'll see over time, well, I'm hitting my 7-iron 164 on average and look how many greens I'm missing because of that. It'll show you your dispersion. So you're getting like tour level data. And when golfers see this, it's quite simple. They just take more club. That's why I often tell people take the yardage to the back of the green. And then I almost always get emails and messages back like, hey, John, I hit three more greens this round because of that advice. It sounds like too basic, but when we talk about success with approach shots, your number one goal, and you're not going to do it all the time because as I mentioned, like even 50%, if you hit nine out of 18 greens per round, you're doing really well. 
But everything you should be doing with approach shots is to give yourself an opportunity to get on the putting surface or at least around it. If you want to support our show, make sure to check out our sponsor, LinkedIn, by visiting linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. When you're hiring for your small business, it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals, many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why 2.5 million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweetspot. That's linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. I used to work for a big academy with lots of good juniors, really high level juniors. And one of the things that we used to do was we'd go out in the morning and take all the flags out of the course because it was actually our own course. And it was a little bit shocking for me at first because I I thought, you know, I was new into coach and I thought, well, I can understand it, but this isn't really going to work. It's a bit gimmicky, but oh my God, the the difference. And even as a coach, you'd stand there and you'd say, where would I play this? And you you can't see the flag. So you're completely non-influenced by it. So uh, you pick different targets and you're never, you know, if the flag was at the front, you're never going to pick a club that gets to the front. You play it completely different. So you just, you're just trying to get it on the green because you have not got a clue where the hole is. And so many juniors would shoot their best scores doing that, that you'd find very few high scores. So it would almost knock off the the high score and the low scores would just be just as frequent as well with that. So you'd see the average of the player come down just by not knowing where the pin was. So that's why I wrote an article called No Flag Golf, which was just about imagining the flag isn't there and, and figuring out your strategy from that point of view instead. Yeah, this is not rocket science. A lot of people have come to the same conclusion. Like similarly, I wrote an article. I would say the most impactful article on my site about scoring is the one where I tell people, take the back yardage if you have a GPS watch. The only caveat is if there was major trouble behind the green, adjust a little bit. But on most greens where it's reasonable, play it to the back yardage and aim at the center and see what happens. And I can't tell you how many messages I've gotten being like, hey, John, I just took that basic framework out to the course. I was disciplined with it. And my handicap dropped because, again, it gives you a better opportunity to get the ball on the putting surface and you're not playing these hero shots at the pin and you're not lying to yourself about how far you can hit the ball. Maybe lying is not the, the right word, but you're just you're not being truthful, whatever you want to call it. You're not playing for your best shot. You're playing for your average or even below average shot. With your strategy, you can actually play for your best shot. So I say, how how far do you hit a seven iron to someone? They say, oh, one, 150. I say, so your best is about 160, right? If you absolutely pure it, everything goes goes well, that one or 5% shot is, is a 160. And they go, yeah, that's about right. I say, okay, well, the back of the green here is 160. So hit your seven iron. And they're like, well, I'm frightened of it going over. And you're like, 
well, it, it won't go over because your best ever shot is gonna is gonna go to the back of the green. So an average shot is gonna fall short. So that there is that strategy where you can take someone's best or lifetime best and use that for them. And like you said, then aim at the middle of the green or aim to get it on the middle of the green. So your target is the middle of the green. You know, where you aim will be relative to your your shot patterns. So, you know, my target might be the middle of the green, but I always aim to the right of my target because I have a draw bias with my shot. But we'll go through that in a different podcast. But yeah, the the amount of times that people shoot lower scores when I'm in, in a playing lesson giving people those strategies, but the difficulty of it, it goes against everybody's intuition. They're like, but the pin is over there. I want to aim at the pin. I want to aim at the pin. I'm like, just ignore it for this. Just play. Just trust me. Just aim here. Use this club and see what happens. And they almost always score their best. And it's easier said than done because it's about discipline because, you know, you'll getting back to managing expectations. Like even if you employ this strategy, you're still going to miss a ton of greens. You're still going to put yourself in some bunkers and some bad situations. And your instinct after that will be to get more aggressive because like, oh, this didn't work for the first six holes. I'm going to try and, you know, manufacture some birdies here by aiming at the pin. And then really what they're doing is just compounding their initial mistake and they're making more. That's golf in a nutshell. You're spiraling out of control. I like to think of it as like a poker player on tilt. You know, when things are going badly, your strategy and your emotion control goes even worse. Or trading, trading doge coin. I mean, yeah, trading doge. (laughs) (laughs) It's just human nature. And that that's, what I love most about golf is I feel like you're fighting against your almost your worst instincts as a human sometimes. The math on it is really interesting as well. If if an amateur misses a green, it's going to cost them about 0.5, maybe even 0.6 of a shot, depending on the up and down rate, right? So even a scratch player who has a, a 0.5 up and down rate, uh, sorry, a half, 50% up and down rate, it's going to cost them 0.5 of a shot effectively every time they miss the green. Whereas say they knock it to eight feet, the average amateur might only hold that one 10% of the time. I think I've got that stat in front of me. Eight feet is kind of like the line in the sand. I know tall players are about 50%, right? Tour players are 50%. Here it is. This is from Mark Brody. This is from his book, Every Shot Counts. A scratch golfer is 41% from eight feet and a 90 golfer, which you could say is a little less than average, 27%. So it drops, it drops dramatically. It's still, you know, eight feet isn't that far. People expect to make those putts and they, and they're just not going to. So that's why I tell people they can't be aggressive with their approach shots because the payoff isn't there with putting either. We can go into putting in a whole other episode, but you have two things working against you. You can't put the ball where you want it because you have to think about your overall dispersion left to right and front to back. And then on top of it, you're most likely not going to make the putt. But just getting in on the putting surface, the worst thing that's going to happen at that point is making bogey by three putting. Well, the other thing is that even if you do take a more conservative strategy, you will probably end up with the same amount of birdie chances. You're just doing it differently. Instead of instead exactly. of your good shots, instead of aiming at the pin and a good shot becoming a birdie shot, birdie chance, now you're aiming at the middle of the green and a pull left goes onto the target. But, you know, that happens occasionally. You can't control whether you hit that pull or slight push, but you're just making your bad shots work for you now. And there's an interesting anecdote about Tiger. It's in his book where one of the first tournaments he won, he was in a playoff. And the guy went before him and pulled it into the water. 
and the pin was on the left. So Tiger aimed at the right side of the green, completely ignored the pin. He just aimed at the safest part of the green because he knew if he just kept it safe, he would win the tournament. And he ends up hitting one of the worst shots of the tournament for him. He pulled it, hooked it, and it lands about five feet from the pin and the crowd go wild. And he wasn't aiming there at all. So sometimes our, our bad shots can work for us. I don't think it's a coincidence that two of the greatest golfers of all time, Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, were also the greatest course managers, strategists, because they didn't have all of this advanced data, but they knew it. They knew that if they could keep the ball in play off the tee and play smart targets with their approach shots, that they were just going to outlast everyone with their skill and their mental fortitude. Obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about the golf swing in prior episodes. You're going to need the technique to back some of this stuff up. You know, you could be the greatest course manager in the world, but if you haven't sorted your swing out a bit, you can't capitalize on those smart targets and that discipline. So it's all connected in this game, but we'll cut it off here at tee shots and approach shots. But my overall thought on both is that just to wrap things up from my perspective and Adam, you can give your summary here, unless you, do you want to say anything else about approach shots? I think we kind of both were pushing people into the get on the green at all costs and be conservative with your target and, and trust your distances a little more, be more honest with them. Yeah, exactly. I I just think the the overarching theme is to not base your strategy off your best shots, both directionally and distance-wise. A lot of that, I mean, this could be a a whole topic in itself, goes back to how you practice and what creates high expectations. I mean, what creates high expectations in myself is when I do a lot of blocked practice. So when I'm blocked practicing, I hit the ball awesome. I hit the ball like like a better than a tall pro when I'm block practicing, but I know that's not real. And then if I do a lot of that, I go onto the course with this unrealistic expectation of how well I can hit it, and that then negatively affects my strategy. Whereas when I practice in a more difficult format, you know, random practice, changing clubs, changing targets, I get more a more realistic shot pattern. I hit more bad shots, basically. And that then manages my expectations for me. Absolutely. And that's That's really what I want people to get out of this episode. So my main thoughts on the tee shots, again, is that it's not fairway or bust. It's about, I believe, hitting it as far as you can while keeping it out of trouble. So if more people want to take advantage of stat tracking, I would encourage them to do that stat where you do a check or a minus saying that that drive was a success if I kept it in play, hit it a reasonable distance and avoided trees, fairway bunkers, deep rough, or certainly penalty areas. That's a successful tee shot. So don't beat yourself up You know, if you miss the fairway by 10 yards to the left and the light rough. That's okay. You've succeeded in my opinion. So that way you, you don't go to your next shot in a negative mental state and perhaps more aggressive with your target selection because you were upset about that tee shot that actually was pretty good. So that's my main takeaway on tee shots. And with approach shots, that's where I believe people got to pump the brakes in the sense that you're not going after the pin. Although you're not going to get it on the putting surface most of the time, you do want to be conservative in the sense that your overall goal is to aim maybe towards the middle of that green and be very honest with your iron yardages. Like Adam said, don't think about your best shot. Think about your average or even below average shot and start pulling clubs and picking targets based on that. 
And if you miss the green, that's totally fine. You just want to keep the ball in front of you and in play and bad shots are going to happen. You can't, you can't have control over those. That's just golf. So I have two ways that help players manage their distances. I used to do a group coaching game where I would get the whiteboard out. I would draw a little chart, draw their name up, and I would ask them individually, how far do you hit your seven iron? And they'd all call out the distance and I would write it. And I'd say, we're going to play a game now where you hit a shot and you get a point if you are within 10 yards either side of that. So if you're plus 10, minus 10. And you can adjust the distance that you hit it any time. So the first few shots, what happens? Obviously, everybody misses their target. They say, I hit my 7-9-150. They end up only hitting it 130. And we've got like a, a track man or a quad to track this. And so then I say to them halfway through, I say, do you want to adjust your distance now? Because you haven't got any points. And they go, yeah, let's bring that 7-9 down to about 130. <laughs> so by the end of the game, they actually, <laughs> because there's that pressure now, right? They see that, oh, wait, I haven't hit my target once yet. Maybe I should change my expectations because I'm letting my team down here. So that's one way that I've got it. Almost pressure through letting down your peers in the team game. And the other one is, this is how I track all my shots with players, is I give them a chart and I say, track your shot relative to where you wanted it to finish. So say you wanted your your shot to finish 150 and it finishes 130, you put a little X 20 yards short. And so over time, we can start to look at that little chart. It's like a bunch of squares, basically. And they look at it and they go, oh, wow, I'm hitting everything 20 yards short of where I want to. Maybe I need to buff buff up what I think I hit my seven iron or, or reduce rather what I think my seven line or I think my seven iron yardage is. So yeah, there's two ways. The keeping good stats of how far you hit it relative to your how far you think you're going to hit it. And obviously that peer pressure game then. Yeah, I think these are the low hanging fruit, I call them, of score improvement. Because if you get just a little bit better at this and maybe you hit two or three more greens around or you avoid the trouble a few more times off the tee, that could be the difference from being like a 15 handicap or a nine handicap. It's significant. So let's wrap it up there. Adam, where can uh, everyone find you? www.adamyounggolf.com. And this is John Sherman. I'm the owner of Practical Golf. You can find me at practical-golf. Check out our newsletter. I'll post the deal about shot scope if people want to do the automated stat tracking. And I didn't want to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this now, Adam. We have our first guest on the show. They're going to make a really quick appearance because they were listening <laughs> on our speaker and we were eating dinner last night. My kids were listening to us talk and they're really enjoying it and they wanted to join the show. So Jordan, <laughs> say hello to everyone. Hi. <laughs> do Hi, you like golf at all? Um, a little bit. He doesn't like it that much. I'm not, my son's seven. Hayden, say hello. This is Hayden. This is Hayden. They played golf for about five minutes and Hayden got upset that she couldn't jump around and dance in the bunker when I told her that that wasn't a, that wasn't a sand pit. Oh, so mean there's daddy. Our, there's a, yeah, I know. It was just horrible. But no one put a golf club in my hands when I was a kid, so I'm letting them see if they like it or not. We'll see. Anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back with another episode probably in about a week.